Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Abraham Joshua Heschel, a Polish-born American rabbi, said this, Our goal should be to live life in radical amazement, to get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Our theme this month is the path of wonder. And it makes sense because December, we are encouraged to find and cultivate wonder, the star of wonder, the star of light, the joy of being near a cozy fire, the wonder that we have heat in our homes at all. Technology, the wonder of technology, that folks online are here with us in the room and we are with you. A miracle, a modern day miracle, navigated by real live people. There is wonder all around, and in December, we are encouraged to exercise our wonder muscle. Let us not take it for granted. Today, I'm using wonder and awe interchangeably. A linguist might find these two words slightly different, but today I'm using wonder and awe interchangeably, and I, I want to look at what other Faith, another faith community has said about awe and wonder and what science says about what's happening in our brain and how those two uh, work together. Here at First Unitarian Society, we are people who revere the scientific method, for sure. We put faith in the results of science, and when there's a new result, we take that into account. And we may not think of ourselves as being particularly mystically attuned. We tend to look on expressions of the supernatural with a jaded and jaundiced eye. So that star of wonder that guided the Magi in the Christmas story could have been a supernova, a comet, a solar flare, an alignment of the planets even with an explanation, to see such a thing would have been wondrous. Stories would be told and songs would be written about such a wondrous moment. Cultivating an appreciation for the miraculous, the wonder, is not necessarily reductive to just what does science tell us about it when we cultivate it. But when we do so, we are doing something instinctively human. (coughs) 
I want to lift up a book that I have been reading by Sikh American author and activist Valerie Kaur, See No Stranger. This is a memoir and a manifesto of revolutionary love. Sikh American, the daughter of the Central Valley of California where her family has farmed for over a century. Her maternal grandfather, Papa G, told her ancient stories, a long, shimmering history that spanned centuries from India to America and ended with me. She tells this about the origin story of the Sikh faith. You, you hear what I'm saying, S-I-K-H, Sikh. The story of Guru Nanak, five, the first teacher of Sikhism. Five centuries ago, the story goes halfway around the world in a village in Punjab on the Indian subcontinent. There lived a young man named Nanak. He was deeply troubled by the violence around him, Hindus and Muslims in turmoil. One day, he disappeared on the bank of a river for three days, and everyone thought he was dead, that he had drowned. But Nanak emerged on the third day with a vision of oneness, ik ankar, the oneness of humanity and the world. This vision threw him into a state of ecstatic wonder, and he began singing songs of devotion called Shabads, praising the divine within him and all around him. In other words, he was in love. Love made him see with new eyes. Everyone around him was a part of him that he did not know. And this is a theme that Valerie Kaur returns to again and again in the book. Everyone around me is a part of me that I do not know. What a wonderful way to see the world, to break down factions and stereotypes. If we were to see everyone at the grocery store, in the doctor's office, in traffic, at a concert, at a gas station, at the polling place, as someone we do not yet know. She returned, returning to this quote, I see no stranger, said Guru Nanak. I see no enemy. Guru Nanak taught that all of us could see the world in this way. There is a voice inside each one of us called Homai, H-A-U-M-A-I, Homai, the I that names itself as separate from you. The I that names itself as separate from you. It resides in a bowl that holds our individual consciousness. But separateness is an illusion. When we quiet the chatter in our heads through music or meditation or recitation or song, the boundaries begin to disappear. The bowl breaks. And for a moment, we taste sweet as nectar. We are part of one another. Joy rushes in. And long after the moment passes, we can choose to remember the truth of our interconnectedness that we belong to and with and for 
each other. We can choose to see no stranger. Kaur continues, when Papaji was humming the Shabbats at night, he was not praying so much as practicing constant communion with all things. It was his way of remembering this truth, of rehearsing his wonder. Here's the Shabbat that I read at the beginning of the service. Wondrous are the forms. Wondrous are the colors. Wondrous are the beings who wander around unclothed. I think he means animals by this. Wondrous is the wind. Wondrous is the water. Wondrous is the fire which works wonders. Beholding these wonders, I am wonderstruck. O Nanak, those who understand this are blessed. Wahiguru, Wahiguru, Papaji would say. It was our word for God, but he would say it throughout the day like it was a deep breath. Wahi is an expression of awe, and Guru is the light that dispels darkness. So even God's name was an expression of wonder at the divine around us and within us. If I were giving this talk at a congregation that were more traditionally theistic, I would probably get an amen somewhere <laughs> around in there. A sense that wonder and God and spirit and prayer are interchangeable. We are naturalists here. Many of us claim religious naturalism as a, as a theological landing place. You've heard me talk about uh, religious naturalism many times, the awareness that from the tiniest quark to the outer reaches of the universe, we are connected by uh, the, the laws and foundational principles of nature, and, and we are somewhere in this chain. Furthermore, that this is worthy of awe and reverence. Rehearsing wonder, rehearsing and cultivating our, our capacity for wonder and awe is a birthright. It is what it means to be human, and it need not live in the realm of the supernatural. I think that we postmodern folks have said about ancient people who wrote fantastical stories to explain what they did not understand, that because they had no scientific method to rely on, that they were superstitious and whatever stories they may have told have no message for us today. I think we discard messages of wonder at our peril. To appreciate what is unbelievable, phenomenal, miraculous, is to, to live in radical amazement is deeply, instinctively human, and it is not just the province of superstitious storytellers. Valerie Kaur writes, wonder is our birthright. It comes easily in childhood. The feeling of watching dust motes dancing in sunlight or climbing a tree to touch the sky, falling asleep thinking about where the universe ends. 
part of our job is to, as adults is to reach back to that childlike wonder and recultivate it. You don't have to be religious in order to open to wonder. You only have to claim a sliver of what you once knew as a child. If we remember how to wonder, then we already have what we need to know to love. Wonder is where love begins. But failure to wonder can be the beginning of violence. I already know about you. I know what you think. You discard me. I I don't have anything to do with you. I shut you out. That's the beginning of violence. I wonder what made you that way. I wonder what you're thinking about this. That's the beginning of love. I think, about the, I think about parts of speech frequently. I'm the daughter of an English teacher. And so wonder, as we're talking about it as um, a noun, cultivate wonder, the wonder we experience as a noun, but also as a verb, I wonder what will happen next. I wonder. Curiosity is a light in me. There are other ways you could, other verbs you could put in there. I dread what will happen next. I know what will happen next. I anticipate what will happen next. I fear what will happen next. I wonder. There's something that happens in us somatically, something that happens in our body when curiosity is released. I wonder. Do you feel that? That difference? So, you all know that, many of you know that my husband Mike is a a scientist, neuropsychologist, now retired, Um, and I often go to him and when I'm preparing a talk and say, I want to know what's happening in the brain at this moment, and and break it down to me in words that I can understand. And he's very good about that. When our daughter was young uh, and she would have a science question, I would say, you know, go, go ask daddy. And, and we learned to call it Google daddy. So um, I, I Googled Mike uh, to talk about this. What is happening in the brain when wonder and awe are lit up? If we feel this in our bodies, what is, what's actually happening in our brains? Oh, he loves these questions. He brings me the brain model that he has, and he shows me where it is, and um, so he, you know, he brings it out, and he shows me the, how does he do it? Like that, I think the model of the brain, and there's a little part of the brain called the insula, the insula that is uh, right, right down here in this fissure, right, in this crevice, and for a long time, scientists could not study the insula, one, because it was so far down in there, you couldn't really get to it, and also because it's uh, connected to a lot of blood vessels, and and so no no scientist could get in there and really study it in a a living person um, because of the the danger of brain bleeds. But with the new technology, relatively new technology of fMRI, they can study what's happening in the insula and and see what else is, is happening in the brain. Wondrous a miracle, a medical marvel. So 
the insula is responsible for a lot of things. It does a lot of things. It's related to addiction. It's related to many different types of behavior. But it also has emotion attached to a sensory experience. There's a stimuli, an emotional, and an emotional response. And that's when the insula lights up. It's about a prune-sized piece in the cerebral cortex. So what happens when, the when, when we are in the experience of awe and wonder is the default mode, which is a series of connective parts of the brain, the default mode, which helps us with executive function, it helps us get through the day, it's fairly self-centered. In the presence of awe and wonder, the default mode quiets down. It quiets down. Our attention to self is reduced, and our openness to that which is larger than ourself, connectivity to others, is increased. It's what five centuries ago Guru Nanak talked about, the illusion of self, the, the focus on self is an illusion. We can break that bowl and feel ourselves connected in mystery and wonder and love to all other beings. Our minds are primed to see the world as in terms of us and them, I and you, in group and out group. We're hardwired for that. And by cultivating wonder and awe, we reduce that to more of an understanding of our connectivity with other people. There's a researcher named Dacker Keltner. Dacker Keltner. He um, began his work at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Mike was there at the same time. And, and they were playing a little bit to type. Uh, we got to know Dacker a little bit. And, and so my husband Mike, nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn, uh, son of union organizers, uh, and he was studying aggression. Uh, Dacker, uh, this uh, California boy, the son of counterculturalists and, and hippies, was studying happiness. So I always kind of appreciated that. Dacker at the um, Greater Good Science Center at Berkeley is studying awe. He's studying awe and wonder. And uh, when we send out the video of this, I'll, I'll connect a, a YouTube of Dacker talking about the science of awe and wonder and how it makes a difference to us both internally and to our connections in the world. He quotes Protagoras, the Greek philosopher Protagoras, as saying that wonder is one of the very few things that is distinct to us as human beings. If other creatures, other animals, experience wonder, we don't know that they do. Um, and he, Dacker, 
aggregates a lot of different science coming into this, the way it affects us both psychologically, neurologically, uh, socially, our communication faculties, all of these different ways that we can study wonder. And here it is available to us at any given moment. I want to quote our Unitarian forebearer, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was a leader of transcendentalism and a leader of the thought movement of transcendentalism. And this quote from his book, Nature, really talks about the transcendent moment and how it's related to wonder. In the woods, we return to reason and faith. There, I feel that nothing can befall me in life, no disgrace, no calamity, which nature cannot repair. Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air, uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become transparent. Any trouble is just a trifle and a disturbance. I am the lover of uncontained and immortal beauty. I am the lover of uncontained and immortal beauty. It is our birthright. It is the beginning of love. It is the way that we connect to that which is larger than ourselves. As science-believing people, we need not denigrate stories of the miraculous. We have access to them too. And in this season, let us continue to cultivate wonder. I'll close with a moment from our blue holiday service last night. 15 of us or so, and we had a cellist who was here, M. Margette, who played cello improvisation. I didn't know you could do that, but they did. Oh, it was those low rumbling notes and, and just going where the notes took them cello and proposition. And so at the end, with these beautiful decorations that Tim Rail and his team and also the winter solstice folks, all of them came and helped put this together. Thank you for the beauty that you bring us. M. Margette was sitting here on stage with their cello and we were all gathered in the front, and there were candles lit and these lights. And we had some of the stage lights on. And at the very end, the last song, we went to the back, and Dave Barry, our steward, turned all of the lights out, except just these lights on the trees and the candles and that music. And it was a wonder. It was something that those few of us experienced, I believe, a reduction of our focus on self, 
and were connected by music and light together in space. And there was something healing in that moment. It was wondrous. And if that's not a prayer, I don't know what is. May it be so, and blessed be. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.